Awesome. Well, you know, we did, um, we had John uh, come in and do, John Walker come in and do the Strength Finders in the very beginning of the year, which was, I thought, really, really helpful. Um, and, uh, and, and, and work, you know, kind of, kind of get you started on thinking at your beginning of ministry residency. What is my wiring? What are my strengths, et cetera? Um, what I want to do kind of now, now, now that we're several months in is actually look at Ephesians 4. And I put it in this place in the year because you've now been um, in enough hands-on ministry and done enough stuff compared to even September, wherein I think you're going to have a better idea of not just what your strengths are, which is a great way to start, but where is God positioning you within the five ministries of Ephesians chapter 4? Um, and there's a lot of ways to come at Ephesians chapter 4, a lot of ways to think about what Paul's doing here. Um, my interpretation of this section where he lays out apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers is he's talking about uh, ministry leaders for certain. I mean, he's using titles. So there's ministry leaders that are being enumerated here, but they represent ministries, of course, because what are they supposed to do with their, with their ministry leadership? They're supposed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So what we really also get here, I would argue interpretively from the text, is we've got, um, we've got ministry leaders who actually oversee or are helping to develop and strengthen ministries that are essential to the work of the church. So we actually learn about the five central ministries of the church by learning about the five central ministry leaders of the church. So that's my take on it. Lots of folks work with it different ways. Obviously, you guys won't be surprised. I think all these are active for today. I mean, of course I think that. that that was surprised to you. Um, and very engaged in today. Um, although I do think that we have to work through, particularly with apostles, sort of what, what that means. Um, and, and so um, it really matters uh, how the church has been, if you will, engineered. The design of the church really matters. And I think Paul is actually wanting us to understand, and I think Luke in, in Acts, where he is giving, of course, a history of the church, but he's also preaching. Um, I mean, Luke's a preacher. So in the book, the book of Acts, what you get in the, the, the Pauline epistles, what you get in the Petrine epistles, especially some of the Johannine, more Petrine and Pauline, are these designs of the church, how the church is made to work. And that she's an entity that can be understood. She's an entity that can actually be studied. And she's an entity that then can be, if you will, sort of executed or lived out of by a certain design. And I'm not sure there's been enough teaching done for many of us on how she's designed and how she's supposed to work. And she's got a beautiful design. And design really, really matters. I'm telling a brief story, some of you guys may have heard me tell it before, but it was one of my experiences where actually I've learned, and I've thought about it a lot since I had this experience, how much design matters. We were um, on a family vacation, and somebody at Res had a cabin on an island in the middle of the Mississippi River, which was kind of cool. And so she said, you guys would be free to use our cabin for a week. Um, this is the way of pastors and pastors' kids. You're like, oh, great. If someone's offering something, you go there. Um, and then you get there and you find out what you're going to do with it, right? So we got there and we realized, oh, wow, like we're on the banks of the Mississippi in Iowa and that island's over there. We got to get a boat to get there. We had no idea. I mean, and we're hikers, we're campers. We are not boating people in the Rump family. So I was like, okay, well, I guess we go down to the marina. So we go down to the marina, like, we got to get, like, how do we get over there? And the guy's like, we can rent this, um, you know, pontoon boat. I was like, oh, okay, I've been on one several times. I've water skied a lot. I, I could probably figure this out. So this guy said, I'll take you out for a short tutorial. I was like, good, I, mean, I don't know what I'm doing. So this guy was the worst teacher 
probably in the history of the Mississippi River. He was horrible. He was horrible. He was one of those guys that knows how to do everything, but he can't tell you how to do anything. Um, you know, and those are people that drive me crazy, but it's like, I, I don't know how to do things. I'm like, tell me how to do something. Like, give me the steps, I'll do it. He had no idea, no idea how to tell me, but he knew what he was doing. So he's, he's driving it around. He's kind of showing me how to use this, use that, forward, reverse, you know. But he says, here's the one thing you can't forget. I'm like, okay, this is the one thing he's telling me I'm not going to forget. He's like, if you run out of fuel on the Mississippi River, you are in serious danger. He's like, you see that thing over there? I was like, yeah, that's like a really large boat. It's called a barge, Stuart. It's not a boat, it's a barge. And when they start moving on the river, they can't stop. Um, and they carry these, you know, tonnage of supplies and tonnage of commerce equipment. So he's like, you have to make sure that you have gas because you have to get out of the way of barges because if you're in their way, they will run you over. He's like, and then he said, it's Davy Jones's locker for you. I was like, okay, I have I don't know a lot about David Jones illusion, but I'm assuming it has like something to do with like, being, like drowning, basically. <laughs> right? So I'm like, all right. Um, so, so he said, there is a reserve gas tank if you run out, and you have to just, and of course he didn't tell me how to do it, like put this hoser here and put it in the reserve tank, and you'll be fine. So, I mean, we had a hilarious time, but I mean, like, this, old, this pontoon boat was really old, so I didn't feel so bad. I was banging it on docks, and I couldn't. I couldn't dock it while I was hitting things. We were, it was pretty fun. We were laughing pretty hard. And we got, we got over to the island and we got sorted out and the sun was setting. And um, oh, I did mention he also said, don't go out at night. Um, so the sun is setting, I'm thinking, it's summer, it's gonna be a long sunset. It's gonna be so fun to be out on the water on a sunset. So everyone, all the kids were way into it. This is several years ago, so we had all the kids with us. So we're on this sunset Mississippi River and it was epic. I mean, eagles. And, oranges and golds, like infiltrating the whole waterscape. It was beautiful. Um, until we ran out of gas, right? It's like, of course we did, right? You know, and I was like, oh no, oh, no we ran out of gas, oh no. So um, I'm like, no, 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 no worries, you guys. There's a reserve tank that, you know, Davy Jones told me all about it. So we go in the back and of course I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, this hose, I guess like pull it out of this tank, put it in this reserve tank. I'm like, that's not that hard. Put the bench back down. So I go and it starts and I'm like, what a relief. I mean, this is gonna be a horrible experience if the you know, boat would start and then it stopped. And then I started, it started, then it stopped. Then it started, then it stopped. It's like, what is going on? What is wrong with this engine? And Ellison, um, if you guys know Ellison, he's not 21, I think he was maybe 12. He's like, damn, like we can like jump in the water and like pull this boat over to the bank. I'm like, I don't think that's possible. I actually considered it. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, maybe that's possible. Else like so into like Else was like loving it. Jillian, who's ten, is starting to hyperventilate. She's she was very anxious as a kid, and she's getting very nervous. She's like, that's not that, that's not a good idea. Else, that's a horrible idea. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna get off this boat? Like, this is not a good thing. I'm like, no, no, this is fine. Look, we're gonna figure this out. The banks, you know, half a mile away for crying out loud. It's not like we can't. We'll, we'll, we'll get this done. So we're like, let's start it again. We started it. Started it went about ten feet, then it stopped again man, what do we do? And all of a sudden, literally lightning starts like pounding down on the water, you know, about a half a mile away still with, with storm clouds coming in. So now the sunset's gone, now it's getting dark. And literally as the lightning hits, then I hear from behind us, wah, wah, and the barge is starting for its evening soiree, you know, and the lights are going and they see us and they're like, and they're literally moving toward us, okay? So at this point, Jillian is now hyperventilating. She's like, ha, ha, ha. Catherine is actually very cool under crisis. She's like, Stuart, you have to do something. I'm like, I, I, okay. Do something. I'm like, ah, okay, okay. Just, you know, just like, man up. And I'm like, okay. Ah. Um, so I was like, Dad, remember our option? Like, no, 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 we can't jump in the water right now. Like, try to pull the boat. That's not helpful, Allison. Um, so it is, it is a time of incredible panic. 
lightning barge moving toward us. We can't move. And so I just keep trying to start it, stop it, start it, start it. And literally every time I would start it, it would go three feet. And I just realized this is a limit to do this. And I have to start it and stop it and start to stop it. And we inched our way three feet by three feet into somebody's dock, which of course I like, you know, you know, we got into a dock. And I have no idea where we are. There's an island that we're on, but I think we're on the other side of the island, so I don't know where we are. So I, 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 I then sheepishly have to like go knock on the door of the people who own the dock there. It's like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm basically an idiot. Um, I, we were staying in somebody's cabin. He's like, what? Well, who are they? Where are you staying? I was like, uh, I have to give him the names. Like, they're half a mile across the island. Now it's starting to just, you know, torrential downpour. But we were on land, so we, as a family, ran over there. Left the dope boat there. I called the marine the next morning. I said, the boat you gave us doesn't work. I mean, the engine, serious engine trouble. The guy's like, really? I'll come out and look at it. So he comes out, which we have to go over to the other side, you know, to that person's house again, which is, of course, another experience of shame. Um, the guy looks at it, and he's like, the engine's fine. He's, he, he says to me, has anybody ever told you that you're an idiot? This guy's not very nice. Yeah. He's not a very nice guy. David Jones was not nice. You know, he probably had like a big, like, anchor, you know, tattoo on his arm, right? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, okay, this hose that you attached to the reserve tank, you put it over the wooden piece and put the bench down on top of it so that it couldn't flow from the, you know, gas, gas tank to the engine. All you had to do, he said, was go down about two inches where there's a hole, you know, designed in the wooden piece so that it goes through that and the bench can go on top of the wood. Now, of course, he hadn't told me that, to be fair to me, right? And I realized, man, like, all I needed to be told was how this thing worked. And we wouldn't have been in the crisis that we were in. But nobody told me how it worked. And I feel like one of the things that I want to make sure our next generation knows is how the church works. Not to be utterly pragmatic about it, but she works in a certain way. She's, she's, she's a reality. She's an entity. She has a design to her. And we can actually align ourselves with her design, which has been taught us in the Bible. And if we align ourselves with her design, we'll have an amazing, if you will, sunset experience as a family on the boat of the church, which is one of the most ancient symbols of the church is, is a boat. So we can learn how she works. Um, and one of the things I want to do that David Jones did not do for me as we tell you guys, here's how she works. And so as you're seeking to serve her and, and, and work, and, and many, all you guys want to lead, help lead her and build her up in your generation, I want you to know how she works. And one of the key ways that she works is Ephesians chapter 4. And nobody taught me this I, until I, I learned it from a couple of different books and study five, six years ago. I should have learned this a long time ago. I mean, I've been in church work for almost 30 years. Um, so I have a passion about this. We call it, within our diocese, the five M's. Um, so I want you to know your five S's. Those are our values. You guys know your five S's. Um, these are our five M's. And if the five S's are, in a way, the architecture of the church, she's, she's, she's designed that way, Acts chapter 2, she, that's the architecture. The, four, the, five, the five M's, I'm Ephesians chapter 4. That's a little confusing. Um, but the five M's are the engineering. That's what we've got. Okay. So we need to know her design, and we need to know how her design works. Um, so this is dynamic. So listen, as I'm going through these different, um, these different ministry areas, which are ministry leadership as well, listen for the ways that the Lord is just speaking to you. Um, now our Lord Jesus, of course, he's prophet, priest, and king, most importantly, theologically, we understand Jesus is prophet, 
priesthood king. Absolutely. Um, I also want to argue that he's apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, a shepherd and a teacher, right? Of course, of course he is. So what we want to keep is a, is a clear Christology as we look at this. These are not just removed or kind of detached strengths, like in the strength finder process. This is actually about the Lord Jesus and about who he is. He is all these things. So for us who live in Christ, we recognize that there are certain things that he will give us to contribute, to be, to be part of his body, also understanding that there are others who will have other parts of the five ministry gifts. And part of why collaboration is so critical and not just a helpful ministry skill, but actually an essential way to live your life in the kingdom of God is that you have to, you have to know what you've been called to in the five ministry areas and what others have been called to in the five ministry areas and how you can work and collaborate together. As, as I was kind of building the, um, particularly the, the, the senior leadership team that I worked with until last year, and now Steve's building, building a team as well, but I was very intentional saying, okay, um, I have to make sure that I have the apostolic. Who has the apostolic in, among my leaders? Amy Pat, she's an amazing apostolic gifted person. Steve has this as well. Okay, okay great. I don't have the evangelistic. Who's got the evangelistic? And I'm understanding that. Obviously, Matt Woodley would be a great example of that. Who's got shepherding? Oh, Megan Robbins has got shepherding. Brett Kroll has got shepherding. Who's got teaching? Right, so I actually use this as I'm building my teams. I'm doing this down in the diocese as well. Um, so this is, this is really, really key. So um, what I'd like you guys to go through, and, and we're going to workshop this. Maybe is it next week or week after that, something like that. We'll workshop this, okay? So that's what I want to do then is I'm, I'm asking you guys, as we're going through this, you can even know this now. I'm, I'm going to ask you guys to ask somebody who's very close to you. Um, that could be roommate, best friend, spouse, um, where they see your, your strengths among these five ministries. I'm going to ask you to talk to somebody that you're working kind of under right now. So your supervisor within this, the, the ministry residency process, kind of where they see your strengths. And then I'd love you to ask somebody who's known you a long time. Um, so I, I don't know all about all of your relationships with your moms and your dads. Um, but if you're right now reading the 2019 lectionary and you're reading Proverbs, it's all about listening to your mom and your dad, which is pretty amazing, by the way, the first uh, five, six chapters of Proverbs. So if, it's, if you have the kind of relationship with mom or dad and they have some understanding of this and you can also help them understand kind of how this has been taught to you, I love to hear what your mom or your dad think about your gifting. Or if you don't have quite that kind of relationship with your mom and your dad, um, then, you know, somebody that you've known you a long time, a pastor growing up or a youth pastor or somebody. Um, so that's going to be your homework to kind of work on that. So when we workshop this then together, uh, I, then you'll come to it with, okay, so what I'm hearing and thinking as I'm just reading this, but it's also what, somebody close to me, somebody I'm working for, somebody's known me a long time. Also see, okay. Um, so I would also break these five into two main categories. Um, and this is just my interpretation. Uh, the first would be the catalytic category, and the second would be the building category. All right, so the catalytic category would be the apostolic, the prophetic, and the evangelistic. The building category would be the shepherding and the teaching. And I think that would become clearer and clearer. Catalytic's a little bit less clear than building. You guys probably heard me use it over, over, the, over the last several months. Um, but catalytic does have to do with initiative. And catalytic has to do with having some vision of the future and sparking into that vision of the future. So the catalytic gifts goes, something's not there, let's get it there. Let's, let's put something where there isn't something now. The building gift is much more, something's there, let's make it much better. And this isn't to say that people can have catalytic and building gifts. They certainly can. Although some people emphasize more on the catalytic, some on the building. Okay? But I would do those three and two when I look at it that way. All right. Let's look at the apostolic. 
Okay, this is the most complex, and this does need careful teaching, because I think we also get confused, and the Pentecostal movement sends some great contribution to what makes the apostolic, but I also think there's some confusion if you kind of have even a general Pentecostal idea when you're in Reformed Catholic Church like ours. So as Reformed Catholics, here, here's how we would come at the apostolic. First of all, we understand that there is an unrepeatable apostolic, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, which has to do with the fact that the original apostolic band gave us the New Testament scriptures, right? I mean, so in that way, the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Ephesians chapter 2, that's unrepeatable. We want to be really clear about that. There were certain prophetic um, voices, particularly those that gave us the scriptures, as well as the um, non-writing uh, prophets like Elijah and Elisha, who are unrepeatable. And there are, and I would say the same with the apostolic. What Peter, Paul, John, and others said, that's just unrepeatable. That was that, was that era in where God gave us the revelation of the plan for salvation. Okay. Then I would say, and I want to say the unrepeatable apostolic, then there is the embodied apostolic. And this gets into a theology of apostolic succession, wherein it's our understanding that uh, through, the, through the life of the church, both doctrinally and sacramentally, the ministry of the original apostles has been passed down through the ages in what we call the embodied apostolic, and has primarily figured in the ministry of the bishop. So we understand in the Reformed Catholic works that the bishop is an apostle, and his primary ministry is an apostolic ministry wherein he's received the laying on of hands, by three other bishops, for themselves, the laying on of hands by three other bishops through these centuries. So you can actually trace your apostolic succession um, all the way back, uh, which is significant to the origins. And that's very important for the Roman Catholics, and that's one reason why the Roman Catholics, they would argue that our apostolic succession line was broken. Um, but it's not a very good argument because, of course, all the bishops that broke with Rome had been in apostolic succession. I would argue that's an inconvenient truth for our Roman older sister. Um, the Orthodox also look at it that way. Uh, Lutherans do not, uh, they, don't, they don't hold to that. Methodists have bishops, but they wouldn't hold to the apostolic session. So it's really unique among Anglicans, Orthodox, and Romans. It's also understood then that, that because the priest's ministry grows out of and flows from the bishop's ministry, who of course flows from the work of the Lord Jesus as to all of our ministries, but thinking sacramentally, speaking sacramentally, not just spiritually, sacramentally, the priest then ministers from the ministry of the bishop. So the priest also has what will be understood as an apostolic ministry in connection with his bishop, which is why the organic, spiritual, and sacramental relationship between bishops and priests is extremely dear and extremely important to the ministry of the gospel within a Reformed Catholic mindset. The deacon has a very important relationship with the bishop, and the deacon, he or she, are directly connected to the bishop with the ordaining of laying on of hands. But we understand that they have a ministry that is not as intrinsically sacramental insofar as they don't celebrate Holy Communion as the priest does. Okay, so that's just a little bit on even how this fits within the apostolic. Unrepeatable apostolic and bond apostolic. But then I would argue that there is what I would call the people of God apostolic. And I think that's primarily what Paul is talking about in this particular section, contra Ephesians chapter 2, for example. This would be the people of God apostolic. These are those who have apostolic ministries. That would just be, just to not go too far, we're, we're going to have a really important session on women in ministry, I think about a month or so. Um, but folks have an argument around Romans 16, Junia, Junius, um, chief, uh, uh, great among the apostles, or chief among the apostles, um, what's happening there. 
And it's possible, three or four things that could be happening with Junia or Junius. Is it a male name? Is it a female name? There's a, a lot of just textual questions around that. Uh, but one thing that could be happening there is that she had an apostolic ministry. That's possible as one way of understanding that. Um, she's among the apostles in the apostolic ministry. One way of understanding it. Okay. Great. So let's look at this together. Um, one thing the apostolic does is the apostolic is kind of the chief catalytic gift. So when the apostolic gift, the apostolic ministry is in action, it starts things. This is one really simple way to think about it. The apostolic ministry starts things. And those who have apostolic ministry can't help but start things. Indeed, part of what an apostolic leader has to kind of work through is how often should I start things? I need to actually self-discipline to not start too many things. Um, because it just, they, and it's just, it, it's not their thing. It's not their intelligence. It's the Holy Spirit uses their apostolic ministry gift to give them ideas about what could happen here, what could happen there, what could start there, where we could go there. Um, they also catalyze not just ministries, but the apostolic, particularly as it matures in somebody, will catalyze an entire context for ministry. Okay, so, so it's not just starting, but often the apostolic ministry, particularly as it matures, starts context. Like in other words, how can I start a church? How can I, I mean, in my case, I was called to basically start a diocese. That, that was my apostolic ministry gift. And like I, and it wasn't like I, I was in a crisis when, that, when I, was, I was like, I can't wait to do that. I mean, I, I, I have an intuition by the Lord how to do that. Um, and it involved a lot of people. So what an apostolic gift says is I can vision, I can feel, I, I can feel as an apostolic leader myself, like three to five more dioceses that I just feel. How else do I describe it? I just, they're there. They're there. And they may not happen in my lifetime. I hope I get to see it. I think they might. Um, but I, I think that way. And so I'm thinking, okay, you know, how do we get a Wisconsin diocese and, of course, a Minnesota diocese and an Iowa diocese? I mean, I'm thinking that way a lot because I want to think context, where all the other ministries, the other four ministries, are thriving. Not to mention also the apostolic within those ministries are thriving. So that's very apostolic. Um, the apostolic loves to see these ministries flourish, and they're not happy unless all five are moving. So that's different than a building gift, which is more focused. The building gifts are very focused, by the way. With, with, with the, catalyze, the catalyzing gift, they can be a little bit more buckshot versus bullet. But it's also the strength is you're not happy unless you go, oh, we got evangelism. It's thriving. Oh, we got prophetic ministry. It's going. Look at the shepherd he's having over here. We got excellent teaching. Um, that's the apostolic. And, and I got other apostolic ministries starting a new thing. I mean, an apostolic minister that's secure in his or her ministry, they love seeing other apostolic ministries. They love it because they start, because they, not, you're not the only one starting things. Um, so you're developing ecosystems of interdependent relationships. That's what the apostolic loves to do. Now, you can see this actually in action in a small group. So an apostolic leader will say, okay, I want to develop in my small group like interdependent relationships and people knowing what their gifts are and how they work so that actually I can figure out who could be the next small group leader to start another small group. It's all, you know, all of us talk about multiplying small groups. Well, that's really hard to do unless apostolic leaders are involved, honestly. Because um, they'll do that. Shepherd leaders are, they're awesome. They're going to be like, why would you multiply when you can actually more deeply disciple each person in this small group? Knowing their lives, their families, their relationships, extremely important. One is not more important than the other. Um, apostles are first. That's is that 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Apostles are first listed by, by the Apostle Paul because they have to go first. Because, I mean, I, I needed to get out in front and actually catalyze a diocese. It doesn't make that I'm more important. It just means in terms of sequence, apostles are often first. Does that make sense? Um, 
Okay, so also the apostolic is a pioneering gift. So you're often doing something that hasn't been done before. So, and, that, and that's why the apostolic can be confusing for people. It's like, what are you doing right now? What are you even thinking? Well, you're pioneering something that hasn't been done before. You're getting out in front. All right, the prophetic. The prophetic is a, catalyz a catalyzing gift as well. And the main way that I describe the prophetic, and we, we did some of this, you guys, when we did our, our work together on prophetic ministry, is that the prophetic catalyzes God's word now. The prophetic does not make up God's word, of course. It catalyzes God's word now. So what happens, um, you know, with, with, with the prophetic is that there'll be a ministry of God's word, but if you're receiving prophetic ministry, you'll find all of a sudden it's like, well, what just happened in the room? Everything just changed. It just got more vivid. It just got more intense. My heart just accelerated a little bit. Like, I'm kind of like, whoa, like, whoa. Like, and I'm, I'm a little disoriented. Um, my wife, Catherine, that's probably her lead ministry area is the prophetic. So if you've heard Catherine teach, and then she'll teach, she'll be like, whoa, 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 what just happened? Like, this happens to me. Um, I'm here. She's like, wow, like, that's super focused. Like, I've never thought about culture that way. I never thought about that that way. That's the prophetic. There's like a now to it. There's like a vividness to it. Um, there's a grip to that. Um, so we see this. So there's like the spoken prophetic ministry, which is where it's preaching can, can have a strong prophetic element. Um, you'll also see it in words of knowledge, words of wisdom, things that we looked at together where the prophetic brings God's ministry right now. As we also looked at, vision is also prophetic. So vision also has a strong prophetic element. So a visionary leader actually is exercising the prophetic ministry leadership gift insofar as we're saying, this is my sense of how God's word should be applied now in our organizational situation. That's a prophetic ministry. That's part of prophesying. So vision actually fits in terms of like vision ministry, vision casting. That was that fits under the prophetic ministry of the five M's. Uh, musical ministry, very prophetic. Artistic ministry, very prophetic. So artists often feel like, I don't have my places. Like, what's my place in the church? I'm going, it's in the prophetic. It could also be in the teaching and in the shepherding. Um, and in evangelism, for that matter, too. Um, but I would say primarily what a, what a musician does, what a visual artist does, what a theater artist does, what a tech artist does, is they minister God's word now. Again, you go, wow, looking at that image like that, I never thought about it that way, but that, that painting draws me into the reality of God's word in a whole new way. Um, the, the ministry of music, one reason, again, it's, it's not like, okay, like we start a church plant, got to have a church planner, got to have a worship leader, got to have a children's pastor, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Like, what are we talking about? There? We're like, you got to have an apostolic minister, got to have a prophetic minister, the musician. You got to have somebody who understands um, building ideas and building a people, children's pastor. I mean, like when, when, you, when you're building a church plant team, it's not just check the boxes, you're actually doing 5M ministry. And when it comes to finding a musician who can work alongside you, I'm telling you, like, that is one of the greatest needs in our movement. Even though we've got an incredible worship movement, we, we, we don't have enough musical, prophetic leaders to fill out our church plants. I have more potential church plant leaders than I have prophetic musical people, which is insane. It should be the other way around, but it's not. Um, this is an extremely important part of prophetic ministry and how this works. And I want to make sure that our musicians and our arts are actually trained in understanding that about their ministry. We'll watch this in Easter Vigil in a month, right? We do light and lesson. We'll watch prophetic ministry. What is that? It's God's word. That's what we're doing. It's the scriptures ministered now prophetically. Oh, man. So good. I have to say, man, one of the reasons why the vigil is so, like, what just happened to me? Like, how did God move? Is Catherine, who directs it, 
has such a prophetic vision. That's part of the thing that she brings. It's just one of those, that's just her ministry. That's just the ministry office. It, it gets people like, oh, I love Vigil. I'm like, yeah, well, we love Vigil because our musicians are exercising prophetic ministry. Catherine is the director of their prophetic ministry. It's prophetic. That's why people go, that wasn't just a performance, was it? No, it wasn't. That's why. That's, that's that M. The, the evangelistic. The evangelistic catalyzes conversion. It catalyzes conversions. It might catalyze steps along the way toward conversion, of course. But it catalyzes conversions for others. And it creates context for conversion as well. So the ministry of Alpha, the genius behind what Nikki Gumbel and others did with Alpha is they created a context for evangelism to happen all throughout the world. What an incredible, actually fascinating combination there, the apostolic and the evangelistic is what you get there. Um, as opposed to Billy Graham, who I'm not sure he had the apostolic. He obviously was profoundly gifted with the evangelistic, but he didn't actually start programs that multiplied, like Alpha. He, that was his ministry. And then, of course, he equipped local churches and did everything on that level. Isn't it amazing? Like, why would we ever want to, like, critique one and, 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 and you know, highlight the other? You need them all. Again, like, if we don't have a 5M understanding of the engineering of the church, you start thinking, oh, this is what's more important than this, this is more important than that. You start thinking, I mean, think, think about the churches you might have grown up in. How many churches are actually engaging all five M's? No, instead they engage one or two M's, and then they critique everyone else, either overtly or usually because we're Christians, politely. Um, we critique the ones who aren't the, the M's that we are. I'm going, that's insanity. We need all of the M's together. So it catalyzes conversion, whether it's in context conversion. Um, uh, the evangelistic is always drawn to communities outside of the church. So it's catalytic, and it has a pioneering element. So the evangelist goes, I love church. I mean, this is what you have to actually decide. Evangelists have to be discipled to sometimes love church. Because um, evangelists are so frustrated with church. It just frustrates them. Because they have a hard bond to people outside of church. And they're going, ah, I, I love my church, but these people, they don't get this, they won't understand this, they don't get this barrier. So evangelists are pioneers in a different way than the apostolic, but are still really important pioneers, and they'll always be drawn to communities far from God. Always. Always. Um, also, the evangelistic is a bridge-building gift. Because the evangelist is bridge-building between cultural realities, cultural icons, cultural ling linguistics. Um, evangelists will be often on social media much more. Um, and, and, and in part, many of them have to be or need to be, which is a swamp, and one must be very careful as they get into that. But they need, but that's the work of the evangelists. They always have to be careful. Whether it was social media or whether it was something else in previous generations, they're in the world. You know, they have to be in the world. They've been sent into the world. And so they're, they're bridge building them between cultural icons, right? The grounded evangelist understands it being cultural icons and the kingdom of God. They're bridging. They're bridging, walking back and forth all the time. Now again, if an evangelist is on their own, it's a high danger spot. And they often get themselves into theological trouble. It just happens over and over and over again. Um, honestly, I mean, so many things to say about, about uh, Bill Hybels, and I certainly uh, don't want to lambast him. I, I learned a ton from Bill Hybels. Um, but how dangerous to have such an evangelistic gift as Bill Hybels did. What an evan evangelist and apostolic, by the way. He created context and he built... Um, uh, reach, reach people far from God. It was just amazing. But he was on his own. He was on his own. Again, evangelists have to have prophets. They have to have apostles. They have to have teachers. They have to have shepherds, as do all of us. That is essential to the engineering design.
Okay, shepherds. Ah, shepherds. Shepherds are amazing. Um, I think shepherds are some of, uh, there's, there's less rarity to shepherds because we need so many shepherds. You actually don't have to have a ton of apostles. You really don't. They're starting stuff, creating ecosystems, right? But who's going to fill out those ecosystems? Who's going to actually build people up? Shepherds. Shepherds are builders. They're expert builders. They're, they're craftsmen. They're craftswomen. That's what a shepherd does. They build communities. I mean, so an, 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 an apostle might catalyze an ecosystem, but a shepherd comes in and builds a community. Shepherds love the work of baptism, confirmation. Um, they love seeing people get married. They, 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 they don't love seeing people get buried, but they're honored to be a part of a funeral, and they're there in those moments. A, a shepherd's like, I'm building the people's lives. They're building communities, and they build communities where the fivefold ministries are actually lived out on a daily basis. Again, the apostolic goes, we need all fivefold. I want them to be involved in different ways. It's kind of like this. Shepherd's like, we need all fivefold here in this 80-person church plant. And I'm going to foster that from the very beginning. I'm going to build that. I'm going to find them. I'm going to affirm them. I'm going to train and disciple them in their five ministry areas and make sure that they work together. That's going to be the hard part. Very hard, by the way. One of the hardest things I do. Trying to get all these people to work together. I'll get into that. It's a pain. Um, it's very challenging. The devil has a, it's a devil's playground um, to divide these folks, by the way, from each other. But the shepherd's like, nope, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. The shepherd, um, the shepherd loves discovering other people's ministries. So uh, what he or she will do is just get in and go, okay, not just like, yeah, what's their 5M giftings? But then what can it be applied within a local church? How can this work within a local church? And they, the shepherd has a lot of coach in them. So again, like a coach comes into a team, right? It's day in and day out with that coach. It's, it's over, particularly if it's a sport like baseball, say for example. It's a long season, six months um, in, the, in, in the major leagues, where that, where that skipper, that manager, that coach is involved long term. That's how a shepherd thinks. So the shepherd's like, oh yeah, I, I love going to practice every day. I love it. I love it. I love going to, to I love being a part of meetings. Um, not good meetings. Uh, you guys are very fortunate, by the way, to be in a church that has good meetings. Uh, trust me, it's not every place. Um, but I love being a part of these. I love building stuff. They're just, they're just carpenters. They just want to build stuff. And they, shepherds generally want to build stuff over a long season of time. So um, people with shepherd giftings, you'll often see them in one place for a very long time. Not that God may choose to move them around, but the apostolic, those folks can be boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, and in their careers, they may move around a lot. They have to often depend on God for financial help because an apostolic ministry often is very hard to finance. Um, it makes a whole lot more, and an evangelist ministry can also be hard to finance. Financing a shepherding ministry makes a lot of sense because you're a shepherd, you build into your people, your people do what the Bible says and give them money to build up a church and to not muzzle their ox um, and take care of their pastors. So it's actually an economic model that works in that way. And it needs to because it's a long season of time. Shepherds often work for a long time. I mean, I got the pastor res for 21 years, and I loved it. I'm kind of a strong shepherding gift, so I loved it. I loved doing that. Um, that's often how shepherds will work. Okay, teachers. Let's talk about teachers. Teachers are also builders, but what they build, while a shepherd builds community, a teacher builds ideas. That's what a teacher builds. They're idea builders. They're series builders. Watch Matt Willie get his, you know, 
get his um, hands on a series. It's, you know, he just, he can't help but think about it. He thinks about them all the time. Like, what series could we do? Uh, Father Brett thinks this way too. How, how, you know, what do we need to teach into? They build those things out. They build a sermon outline. They build a teaching manuscript. They build out series. They build ideas. They build lectures. They build ideas, but they build ideas within the gospel that change lives. They're enthralled by the ideas that change people's lives. Um, these are ideas that spring first from God's word in the church, but a teacher is insatiably curious. They can drive you crazy, teachers. It's like their issue knows everything. And, and, and yet they're, they're, um, they're glad to, um, they're scavengers as well, though. There isn't everything, but, they, but, but there is things that, that will help them build another idea. So if you're you know, close to a teacher or around a teacher, it's like their input's one of the gifts you often see in a teacher. They're like, I want this, I want that, I want this, I'm gonna scavenge that, oh, I can use that quote, that, that, that might be helpful. Um, they just, they're just insatiably curious because they know it'll help them build more ideas. Um, obviously the work of teaching is critical to build the foundation of the church. What is the foundation of the church according to the Apostle Paul? Prophets and, prophets and apostles, who, who in that case were actually operating within teaching office. Interestingly enough. So it's the teaching office that gives a foundation. A strong foundation church, you will almost always find somebody within that strong foundation church operating in a strong teaching gift. You'll almost always find that. A stable church um, will often have a strong teaching leader or a strong teaching gift that, that's putting that into place. Um, there's a lot of stuff that comes with that. Okay. So I want to do some stuff with unity now and getting these folks to work together. But let me stop. Let's, let's, let's take a moment and just do a little discussion around this. Um, so we will get into, I, I also kind of have like the, the shadow side of these five gifts and how it can lead, how it can not always work out well. We'll get into that. But first, just the basic concepts. Um, can just interact with me some on this? What's newer to you on it or what kind of strikes a chord? Um, Feel free to interact with it personally, interact with it as you've kind of observed res, especially you guys have also had time at West Loop, of course. So if you've seen this play out at West Loop, um, that'd also be really interesting to hear. Or in your home churches. I had a question. Can you distinguish a little bit between the pioneering from the apostle and the pioneering with the evangelist? Yes, totally. So the apostle's gonna pioneer toward building an ecosystem that will include the evangelistic, but will include all five. The evangelist is gonna pioneer saying, how do we reach more lost people, okay. right? So yeah, so they're often, so the apostle actually loves that because they love the pioneering too. It's like the apostle and the prophet, excuse me, the apostle and the evangelist can have a great partnership and awesome because they like, we understand each other. Um, and so, but, but the evangelist is like, great, you go build all this out. I'd like to go over here and actually build out the gospel in this community of unreached people, wherever that might be. They always want to get out there. Yeah. How would you distinguish the shepherds and the teachers? Because they're obviously both leaders. Yeah. And they're doing very similar things. Yeah, Addie. And they, often, they, they can often both go together. So, you all know my brother Christian. I don't know if you got a chance to see any of his ministry. He is a, he is a classic, so strong shepherd teacher. Those are both things. So they do often go together. And indeed, sometimes some interpreters will put them together. They'll do four areas and do shepherd teacher together. Um, so I would say the, the big difference, again, is that um, if somebody, like, say something is first and foremost, like their first main ministry area is teaching, um, they're going to probably tend to be a little bit less relational than if your first main building area is shepherding. 
Um, so you're, and you're going to want lots of time. You don't have to be an introvert necessarily, but you're probably going to be more drawn to that. So you're going to want lots of time to study, lots of time to read, lots of time to think about stuff. Um, one of the challenges for a teacher in local parish ministry is they never have enough time to think about stuff. It's just part of the sacrifice they have to make. Um, Tim Blackman, if you guys knew Tim Blackman's ministry at Wheaton, he's a very strong, I would argue he's probably a teacher, that's probably his lead gift, teacher, then he may be apostolic after that, I think. So for Tim, he spent two hours plus a day studying. He had to, it's just how he was wired, because he wanted to build teachings up. And so the, the shepherds would be much more, how do I build relationally? How do I build interpersonally? How do I build these things together? But you'll often see them go together. It's, a, it's an amazing winning combo, of course. If somebody wants to build people and build ideas, right? I mean, that, that, that's also we go get a preacher who can just like hit the target because they're like, I know my people and I know my Bible and I'm bringing those two together, which is a great thing that often happens in preaching. I didn't realize that. Oh. I knew you were. I knew you did ministry, and you were in Frankfurt. I didn't realize it was part of a church planning network. Yeah. Um, and what, what was the tradition? That was it. A like a, a German kind of mission to Germany, or? Well, so I mean, it's kind of hard to say. Like in, in Germany, there's not like a really good, um, um, you know, uh, word, sacrament, spirit. Combo. Totally. So there's usually like one or two combo. Yes, yes, totally. You know the Reformed Episcopal Church is trying to bring that, by the way. Oh yeah. We should talk about that. Oh yeah, I'd like to talk about yeah. that. Anyway. Um, but in any case, this this Anglican, excuse me, this church planting kind of network in Frankfurt, I, I was part of it um, after after I graduated from Wheaton, and it was an apostolic vision run by an evangelist. I think. Wow. Um, which sounded really cool, but I don't think he quite had the like apostolic mentality. Mm. So there was his vision was I want to create church, I want to plant churches throughout Frankfurt that are um, multicultural. Mm -hmm. But I was a part of this multicultural church, uh, the first one that had been planted, and it was extremely divisive. Yeah. over just cultural differences yeah. that were coming up that were unexpected and people didn't really even they didn't see it as a cultural difference they saw it as like personal personal front or, or something like that wow. and like it was mainly Iranians and Germans which I can't think of two like more diametric any Afghans by the way that, you know, there's so many Afghans that have been there were, yeah, there were, as well yeah um, Ghanaians yeah there. but in any case uh, wow was, was like wow okay we need training we need like some classes together where we have small groups and we talk about cultural differences and you know, we need to do something to help us all understand what we're actually a part of because it was this really beautiful like arm in arm brotherhood beautiful kind of vision but the like nuts and bolts of how to do that were um were, you, you needed a ecosystem needed somebody who uh, had a plan for like how that was going to go so he wanted like five churches planted in a year of course he did and so it's kind of like you 
a very evangelistic, let's go out, come on, let's go, no one else is doing this, let's, let's do this, and, and it was really beautiful, but the, the staff, I, they let me join in, because I, I was this resident there, um, I was like, actually the interim children's pastor, which I did not know I would be until I was there, <laughs> everything was falling apart, and the children's pastor was like, I'm going on vacation, you take my spot, I'm out, Welcome um, to I'm still teaching all these German kids in my broken German, <laughs> because they're stretched too thin by an evangelist who can he himself could do like multiple things but the five ministry is helping me to see the value of like of people having the right roles the yeah. role that really fits them like yeah. he was perfect but he needed somebody above him even who right. could really just like create some stability slow him down a bit but okay let's, let's work on like totally. successfully doing one yes. and then try to replicate yes that. yeah exactly Okay, so that's fascinating that. So I don't know this gentleman, of course, so I'll just use him as a... So he actually may not have had the apostolic, or he may have had it and it was very undeveloped. Yeah. He clearly had the evangelistic. Yeah. And so, um, because a developed apostolic, like you're saying, is going to go, we need all these things. Like you're saying so well. So, and, and, and we're going to do cross-cultural work with Iranians and Germans. I mean, this is like a year of teaching, yeah. right? Um, you do like a ton of teaching. Um, Father Trevor is really gifted in both the apostolic and the shepherding. So what he's done is he's building uh, a multi-ethnic family at City of Light. Is he's cast the vision at the very beginning. They've, they've had multi, you know, bilingual worship, but he's taught and taught and taught and taught on this. Did a whole Ephesian series. It was just excellent. You guys got to hear at the retreat. He did some, he did one of the sermons from that was just outstanding. I thought that was a great sermon, just from a sermon construction perspective as well. By the way. Um, so anyway, that's, that's a great example where, you know, could have been an undeveloped apostolic, probably was more an evangelistic, and what he needed was an apostolic leader, like a bishop, who'd be like, man, you just go, like, let's do this, but here's how we're going to do other things too. Yeah. Um, and the apostolic, this could have been, the apostolic and the evangelistic always wants to move quickly. We're always frustrated at pace. I'm so frustrated by pace. I'm so frustrated that in seven years we've only planted 20 churches. That drives me nuts. I was just talking to my sister-in-law, who's our church planting canon. I was like, Molly, what's going so slow? She's like, yesterday, she's just like, slow and steady, sir. We'll get multiplication eventually. But that is how people are wired. So that makes sense. What a great vision. I mean, like, that's inspiring to hear about these five churches. It's a great inspiration. But without it, division comes in. There's a lot of issues of division in churches are because the five M's are not all operating. That's why a lot of division happens. Could have been so good. Could have been so good. Yeah. This is actually another place too where, um, just, to just to continue to understand our Reformed Catholicity. Now, you guys know that I don't think that the category of Reformed Catholicity solves everything. It doesn't. It has to actually work its design as well. But if bishops will be bishops, if bishops will be bishops, and they understand that a bishop is not an administrative position or just like a leadership office, it's actually apostolic. Then a bishop can, can serve somebody like that. they they position an evangelist and they go okay let's go but you've got to have that greater and the church has actually given that gift to us but we ignore it because we ignore you know these offices that God's given anyway Caleb you were noodling on something I think oh yeah I was just thinking like back to like thinking about my experience in my home church growing up like the categories of these they would not probably not really use many of these other than shepherding and teaching yeah they. There wasn't much talk of prophetic and apostolic stuff is just, you know, 
apostles. Yeah, the apostles. But anyways, like I can really see how something like a an apostolic or even more of an evangelist or prophetic would have been so beneficial to this church because I felt like in a lot of times there's a lot of emphasis on like for a while of like um, like the shepherding and the teaching and there was like pastors that were really good at like the sermons and like people were being fed in that way for a long time. Um, but then they felt like like but there was no like vision or call for the church. Like there was no one to step up and kind of like make that like this is who we are, this is our, you know, purpose, this is what we need to do, and, like, encouraging others into this gift, and so, like, and because of that, then, there was no one encouraging, like, evangelists, in that yeah. sense, either, too, to, like, step out and do those types of things, and so it was really interesting, like, and it's, I don't connect, I'm not connected too much to my home church I grew up in anymore, but, um, but there is, like, this, this element of, like, they went to, like, this outside, like, Christian company for like vision. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, when I heard that they did that, I was like, that just seems so strange to me because these people don't know the, you know, this community or like this right. church. Like, right. like, there's no one among you like that has these types of giftings to step up and to do this. And so I was just thinking like, if there would have been someone like that, or even just to have these categories, like, that might have been really helpful in just kind of seeing some of those things yeah. and then like pushing people into those roles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because because a shepherd teacher, if they're secure in their area of ministry, they they will need help visioning sometimes, right? Like you're saying, so they need to have a trusted prophetic gifted person um, or apostolic gifted person alongside them. So my brother is a shepherd teacher. He he would not say he's huge on vision. He's actually quite good with vision, but he's not huge on it. But Molly, who's very apostolic, is his partner in ministry, and that, that that's a husband wife dynamic. But they can work in partnerships as well. Um, if you understand how this works and you're not threatened, you're actually like, oh, this is actually Romans 12 actually working. Oh, this, this is what's meant by 1 Corinthians 12 and the body works together. It's like, again, that becomes so abstracted and so theoretical. Isn't that ironic? What image does Paul use? A body for Christ's sake. I mean, it's like Jesus, Jesus' sake. It's like Jesus is saying, this is my body. You know, it's like, this is very tangible. Um, I, and yet we, we like make it abstract. Like, oh, that's a great little sermon about everyone I should serve in the church. No, no, this is actually how it was designed. And if you don't do it, we won't get strong churches. But I'm so passionate about it. All right, let's, let's, let's look at these different areas. We can talk some more. Okay, the, so the apostolic, the apostle. Um, how does it feel if you're operating in the apostolic? You can often feel very isolated. So one thing you know about the apostolic and the, the, the apostles, they often feel very isolated. Because why? Well, because they are to a certain degree. They're out in front. Their very nature, the gift, puts them out in front. Um, how do they feel about others? Um, in terms of like, if they get into a sinful place, where can they, where can they go? And basically what, what they can tell everyone else is, why am I the only one who really understands the, the real nature of the church? Why am I the only one who really gets how it should happen? Why am I the only one who sees where we should go? So understandably, they feel isolated. Sinfully, they get into a place of pride. It's like, why am I? Why am I the one that's so advanced? Um, no one else really gets it. No one else, and this would be a classic apostolic phrase uh, for the evangelists as well, no one really understands me. Okay, the prophet. Um, how does it feel to be a prophet? You often feel judged by others in the church because you're making bold statements. You're making declarations people haven't thought of, or they haven't applied the scriptures quite that well, though it's a fair interpretation of the scriptures. 
And so people judge you. As people judge prophets quite quickly. I mean, look at the history of, of Israel. Um, so prophets often working through, am I being judged right now? Am I being misunderstood right now? Should I not keep saying bold things anymore? Um, prophets are very tempted to just, just be quiet. Like, stop talking. Because when they say things, they often are judged. When do they move to a sinful place? They can become very judgmental of others' ambiguities. So in other words, a prophet can't stand. Prophets do not generally like gray. They don't like nuance. They don't, that's not their area. Now, a teacher loves nuance, right? This is part of getting a teacher and a prophet to work together. <laughs> is teachers love nuance. Teachers love nuance upon nuance upon nuance. They love, oh, well, you know. I mean, you know, I, I came up at Wheaton, of course, in undergrad and grad. I mean, and Wheaton, when I was training there, it was all about, well, that was pretty good, Stuart, but that had been better than that. That, that, you know. Um, and uh, at one level, that made me more precise. I'm not a very precise person. That was actually really good training for me. But the teachers, um, and so for prophets, that drives them nuts often because they're like, no, it's this or it's this. Choose this day whom you will serve. Like, let's, and the great thing about a prophet is like, they'll come in when it's over nuance and be like, this is overly nuanced. We've got to make a decision. We've got to go somewhere clearly. Um, so that's, that, that's very much a prophetic way, but they can become very judgmental and actually not patient and not allow for the gray when there is gray or not allow for things to play out. A prophet's often like, this is what's going on, I know this is happening, um, but things have to play out. So Catherine's very prophetic, right? And I, I tend, to, I have a strong prophetic gifting as well, but I tend um, to also, I think, I also think nuance, I kind of do, do, do both things. So COVID hits and Catherine's going, this is a national, it's like, it's like March 20th last year, she's like, this is a national nightmare. This is gonna go on forever. This is, this is really serious. And she was right about so many things prophetically. I'm, of course, I'm going, well, no, hang on. We don't know, you know, and there's a lot more to be discovered. But she's like, no, this, this is not good. And we had these dynamics and these very involved conversations with each other. Involved, that means argument, right? Um, and uh, because we were coming at this from our five, our, our five M strengths so differently, the COVID pandemic, we came at it so differently. Um, we're, we're still coming at it somewhat differently, but it's been a year and, Time does soften the edges on both of us, which has been great. Um, okay, the evangelist. The evangelist often is misunderstood by the church, and they feel misunderstood by the church. They feel like people don't know how loyal I am to the church, how loyal I am to Jesus. They think because I love unbelievers so much, I actually don't also love believers in the Lord. They feel very regularly misunderstood. Um, evangelists often work outside of the church because no one's invited them to work within the church and from the church. That said, when evangelists can get into a sinful place, they can actually themselves become judgmental of the church's necessary um, building of community, necessary life together, necessary solidarity and community. So they can rightly feel misunderstood, but they can wrongly move into frustration, cynicism, or even just utter isolation. Uh, there are many evangelists who are not regular churchgoers. The shepherd. The shepherd, um, one of the things that they're often feeling is exhausted. Shepherds often feel really tired because it's everyday work of everyday things. Um, it's, it's like being a mom. It's like you're involved all the time, being a dad, with all the details of life. When you're gonna buy the soccer cleats, 
when are you going to pay the registration fee? When are you going to pick up somebody from school? That's what shepherds are doing within their church ministry. Like they're just like, now I need to take care of this. Now I need to take care of that. Now I need to run that meeting. Now I need to stop by the hospital. Now I need to write that sermon. Now I need to get ready for that vestry meeting. Now I need to prepare that budget. It's just, it's exhausting. And you're building. I mean, building takes a lot of strength. You're constantly building. So shepherds often feel exhausted by everything. things. Um, what can shepherds become sort of sinful about? They, become, they can become very self-righteous about small things. Like, no one else knows that I do this. I'm very self-righteous about the fact that I do this. They can become sort of in their own prideful way um, about the small things that nobody else sees, which is actually part of their work. But they can become very self-righteous about that. So they can become kind of like, oh, apostles, all they do is big stuff. Evangelists, all they care about other people. But I am the one that cares about the small things. The teacher. Teachers can often feel overwhelmed by others' ignorance. And overwhelmed by others' lack of curiosity. Teachers often feel overwhelmed, by the way. It's just that if the server's often exhausted, the teacher's often overwhelmed. It's just like, there's so much I could do, there's so much I should write, there's so much I should prepare. And also, there's so many people who don't know anything. How can they not know anything? Um, and so ignorance and lack of curiosity overwhelms you. You definitely feel that. Um, teachers can, though, become very proud in, in a sinful way of their own understanding. Um, teachers often have some element, you know, of some kind of intellectual gifting, and they become very proud of that. Like, I actually do know a lot about this area or that area. I mean, most teachers are like, I don't know a lot about everything. But they can become very proud about what they do know and sort of hold that over others. It can become a place of power. Because often they feel powerless, they're overwhelmed by ignorance and lack of curiosity. So in their sin, they can try to have a place of power or security, which is, I know this. I've got this. I understand this. Um, and by the way, out of that then, they can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Teachers just don't stop talking. I mean, they may be like, not in the front of a big group, they're more introverted, but and they, they want to tell you about what they've learned. Now, by the way, like, that's also really interesting. Like, if you're smart, you learn from these people. But they will go on and on about what they know. They just can't help themselves. They just talk to people. Um, as somebody who's also a teacher, I, I do that. Um, if I'm into something, a particular like, book, I'm reading a book right now I'm really into, I mean, I don't want to stop talking about it to Catherine. You know, she does the same thing to me, so we just like, talk, 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 talk. And, you know, that's what we do as people that are involved in teaching. Um, what's that? Carl Truman's uh, Rise of the Modern Self. It is fast. I'm only 70 pages in. But I've basically underlined every sentence. It's like, I gotta stop underlining. I'm just he's really, he's really a good writer too. And it's fun to read such a skilled intellectual historian thinking about our culture. You, you guys, are you guys? I, I was actually just talking to McKenna because I have it at home and I haven't started it yet. Yeah, yeah, it. it was just given to us. Um, and I knew, I'd heard about it, I knew Rod Dreher had written the Ford. And while I don't always agree with Rod about everything, I find him utterly interesting. I mean, he's, he's a teacher. Um, so yeah, it's, good. it's a good book. Um, okay, so, so now getting these folks to work together then, right? So as you bring these folks together, then it's understanding, you need to understand what is it they often feel? Exhausted, overwhelmed, misunderstood, judged by others, isolated. Like, what are they feeling? And in particular, if you're in that shepherding role, that was like when you're trying to bring them together, you need to understand it about them and you need to actually validate that because that's real. Like, that's where proper empathy is really necessary. I think we tend to over empathize as a culture, honestly, but that's a place where proper empathy is necessary. It's like, that would be really hard. Like, that really matters. And just even the validation for an evangelist to feel validated that, 
you know, that you often feel misunderstood and like not a part of what we're doing unless you need you is huge. Um, but it's also important as we're bringing these people together and as we come together in these different gifts that we understand our sinful ways. And we understand this is probably where I'll be most often repenting to you in our community life together um, is I'm going to have to repent of moving out too fast in front and getting ahead of the Lord as an, as an apostle. I'm going to have to repent of, of being too judgmental of others, necessary ambiguities, whatever it might be. And that's going to take, I mean, I said it's great when I'm saying it. It's really, really hard to do because you are locked into this ministry gifting. It is what animates you, what God's given you. And it is hard to step away from it and go, that is what I'm doing right now. I'm actually doing that. Um, so bringing these kind of leaders together is going to take, it takes a lot of work. It's why I think most churches don't do it. It's just very hard. And I think most pastors especially haven't been trained that as a shepherd, this is when your key actually works. And as an apostle, this is when your key works. Is ecosystem or community, you're bringing all these folks together and then you're validating them, understanding them, doing your best without being controlling to help articulate what it is. It's, it's a big job. Um, it's really important. So let's interact with that as well as other thoughts, but kind of like, how have you seen this work together? Um, and you know, you're probably already kind of saying, okay, I think I can identify some of where I may be coming from. How does that even begin to touch with where you may be coming from and how God's gifting you all? And again, this can develop. You guys are all in your 20s. This will develop. Um, so I would not have said that I was strongly apostolic in my 20s. I didn't know that about myself yet. I hadn't been put in ministry experiences yet where I knew that. I knew that I had some prophetic gifting and I knew that I was a shepherd. Um, I knew that. So this also develops in time. And not only, not only does it develop in terms of learning what other ministry areas you might be a part of, but you also develop your ministry area. And it gets stronger and more mature over time as well, which is actually really encouraging. And you're able to maybe sin less in your ministry area and share more. Yeah, it's just, I think just interacting kind of like where, where, is, where, where does this make sense? Like where maybe you, even you yourself have felt this as you're understanding your ministry area. And we'll do more with this when we workshop it. But where have you felt this? Where have you seen uh, maybe Matthew's divisions come out of this? That was your example as well. Um, or just now kind of taking it from the categories to how the categories work together. Maybe, and I guess my question would be like where have you seen examples of that? Where does that make sense? Where would you have questions around what I'm trying to teach on terms of categories working together still. Yeah, I'm so interested in when people have a catalytic and a building gift. Yes. Like I see that in Brett and Matt. Yes. And like, how does that even work in union within that one person? That's a great question. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, yeah, so we, I have a whole other thing on this. Um, where we've done, and maybe as we workshop this, we'll talk about it too. I'm glad you mentioned that. You can get a double catalytic, you can get a double building, or you can get a building catalytic or a catalytic building. So it really does begin to play out in lots of different categories. So the, the, the combo um, is actually really, it's a, unique, it's a unique way of having a combination, although many do have a combination, where it's also understanding, okay, I need to understand when I'm involved in ministry and I have a particular ministry thing I'm working on, am I using one or the other more? It doesn't have to get technical, but you just kind of get an intuition for, am I engaging one or the other more in this moment? Um, and, and, and that's one thing. And then also, how do mine work together? 
So, um, as you observe, Father Brett, what would you say you see about this catalytic end building? Prophetic and shepherding. Right, exactly. Um, so for Father Brett, um, he and I have a lot of conversations about that. Because as a prophet, he's got a clear sense of this is not going in a good direction. But this is really important. He's got a great sense of that. And I really trust his prophetic sense. But he also loves people so much. He's involved in their interpersonal lives. Like, they need time to get there. Like, so he may even like, have a prophetic sense of what's happening for somebody, but how do I get them there? So that's an incredible gift combination too, right? It's like you can be able to help somebody in their life in the Lord. If you, if you, but like, do you bring it up as caution? Do you bring it up as encouragement? That is a constant dynamic for, for a prophetic shepherd person. And you're right, Brett does carry both. That's, that's insightful. Um, and so it's really learning how those both work together. And part of your maturation process as a minister of the gospel is bringing those two together in greater and greater integration and understanding it. Yeah. The double catalytic is very tricky. So like Matt's supervisor, he might have been double catalytic. He might have been apostolic evangelist. Very, very tricky, by the way. I mean, God does it, so it's good. Um, but if you're double catalytic, A, you're going to have a very hard time you're probably going to need to be in a missionary status of some kind because earning a living is going to be very tricky um, because you're always catalyzing, you're always starting. You're not just like building an economic base, which is actually a practical reality of ministry. You get to build up. So how did Paul finance? I mean, Paul, apostolic, obviously. Prophetic, obviously. Um, evangelist, obviously. He kind of had a lot of things. I mean, he's Paul. Um, but how did he finance his ministry? Right? He was bivocational. Why? Because he wasn't in one place long enough to receive the support of a church like Timothy probably did in Ephesus. He didn't have that. So the, the double catalytic are often in financial, like, ha, ah, God has to provide, God has to provide. They make great missionaries. They often have in missionary situations as well. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting thing to watch over the years, the double catalytic. The double builder, which again, like the shepherd, teacher, um, the challenge there is what Caleb said so well which is they're often threatened by the catalytic and they don't understand the catalytic and they actually would like to almost like have that be other traditions, but not their tradition. Um, so they can get very, very insular. I mean, it's a real challenge for the shepherd teacher, a huge challenge when you, when you have the double there. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's really helpful. For me, I mean, attention, again, as I was coming up and developing ministry was I, I knew I had a shepherding gift, but I was always, the apostolic's often unsatisfied. So the apostolic's often like, like just discontent. And I felt that entire time I was shepherding, I was always discontented, which wasn't necessarily a virtue. Um, but it was part of my apostolic gift because I'm like, we're not planting, like we're not planting enough churches. So like you'll often see, if you see an apostolic and shepherd together, you'll see a church that plants churches. That's very common, the apostolic shepherd. Um, I didn't know that at the time. I just knew I wanted to plant churches, but I also knew I wanted to pastor red. It's like, I didn't want to go be one of those church planters, but I wanted church planters at my church desperately. Um, and so that created a lot of dynamism, but also it'd be confusing for Rev sometimes. And Rev sometimes it's like, this is the next thing that we're going to do, you know, and this is the next thing that we're going to do. So the shepherd apostle has to be really careful that they pace their apostolic ministry. Um, because if not, they overwhelm the church pretty quickly. Kill them. Yeah, so kind of the opposite of what she was saying. What about if like someone is like just building gifts? Like there's still an importance in that, in a sense in which they have to intentionally like practice some of these catalytic things. Right? Yes. Like it can't just be like. Totally. Yeah. I'm just thinking like a church plant. Like let's yes. say like the people leading the church plant are primarily builders. Like they're obviously going to be pushed to be like, all right, well you have to be 
to more evangelistic or yeah. like prophetic, yeah. maybe even a little apostolic. Like, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, what does that, I guess, look like in some ways? That sounds like incredibly difficult because it feels like you're going against in some ways, like what you're naturally <laughs> wired to do, right? So it's kind of like, oh man, like, totally. this is really uncomfortable. So, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Um, great way to apply it to the church planting. So, in part, in part, that is, that is in part the job of your spiritual moms and dads. That if we do our job well, um, we're going to understand as you're going through the process of a ministry, for example, what are your areas of ministry and where, how are you gifted? Um, and helping you understand that and what you're going to need like on a church plant team, for example. Um, that said, I think, I think that almost anyone within these ministry gifts can plant a church or even lead a church plant. I'm pretty sure I think that way. Um, I want my sister-in-law to challenge it, which she'd be very glad to do. Um, I'd love to hear what Molly thinks. Molly, Molly's really come to the place where she now knows more about church planning. Um, but I think almost anybody can do it. I know shepherd teachers can do it. But to your point, okay, shepherd teacher, church planter, church plant lead. Okay, um, so they've got to understand that I'm gonna have to, I, I, if I'm supposed to do this, Lord, you're gonna provide close enough partners who are catalytic that I can deeply trust. They're going to have to understand that I'm the shepherd teacher and that ultimately I'm the leader of this church plan. They have to be willing to submit to that because um, we can't, it just doesn't work to have, you know, two cooks in that kitchen when it comes to that reality. But I'm going to understand I really need them in a close partnership. And they're going to speak into my life. They're going to help me vision cast, etc. So sometimes that happens in a, a husband-wife combination, but not all of our church planners are going to be married. I don't expect... I'm fine with celibate church planters. So that, that's going to mean there's going to be close partnership with how this works. And it is going to stretch the planter. So, again, my brother, I use him as an example for a lot of things. I know him so well. So he had planted cross. They had grown. I mean, it's been a very successful, flourishing church. Praise the Lord. He hit me eight years into it. So some young leader came up to me. He's like, man, like, this really works. Like, you planted cross. You planted one or two other churches. Like, how do I plant a church? My brother's response was, oh, you don't want to plant a church. I mean, now he loves church planting. He's like, it's just so hard and so much pressure and so much stress. I'm like, like, I'm like Christian, what do you say? You know? But as, as a shepherd teacher, he's like, it was really hard. I mean, like, that really stretched me. And, um, and so there's, that's like a really honest response. And I think for shepherd teachers, it might be that they're going to plant one church. And then they're going to work with others. Like they may release other churches, but they may, they may, they may be actively involved and they'll be plant other churches. Um, but they'll, they'll, they'll plant other churches. Like a healthy church is going to plant other churches, but it may, be more, it may happen more slowly for them as opposed to more quickly for an apostolic shepherd. And again, all of that in our diocese, I'm like, great. I'm great with that. I mean, I've got Nate Beasley and Aaron Damiani as two of my senior priests in my diocese. Those guys are pretty different. Um, as you guys know, if you've been around either one of them, um, they're pretty different. But I need both of them, and I love both of them. I mean, Aaron, Aaron's writing books, and, and he's such a great teacher. Um, so I, I think when it comes into church planting, Caleb, it's a stretch, uh, but it absolutely can be done. Um, I actually think the harder church planting combination, in some ways, believe it or not, is double catalytic. I'd almost rather get a shepherd teacher to be catalytic and to move into that with, with partners in ministry than the double catalytic leading a church plant can be very difficult. Because the double catalytic, just, had, just as often as you tell them, it's so hard for them to go, oh, what, fill in what? Do what? Make what connection? Do what teaching? Like, they just want to be out there. Um, so I would almost say the double catalytic is harder to move toward a church plant leadership role than the double builder. Mm -hmm. Interesting enough. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. All right. Okay, guys. So um, for our workshop, what is our workshop, you all? Does anybody know? I don't either. Um, I don't like your stuff is upstairs. Okay, well, 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 I think it's the next one. Um, and um, so for the workshop, talk to the three and ask them, you know, and I mean, do some work on your own, of course. I mean, you won't take much. I guess you already have an idea. I'd love to have an idea of what you think your first three are. Okay, so what do you think your first three are and in what order, generally speaking? Um, and it, man, these are ministry areas. This is like the ministry gifting that we get with administration and, and helps and other things. This is, this is ministry areas. What do you think your first three are? Um, and then ask three others what they think that they are. Um, so you're coming in with some of that thinking. And where's my other little note that I have? It's in here. Um, great. Um, yeah, okay, so what are your first three? What do three people say about the giftings they see in you? Um, another question is, um, and I'll, I'll have Brendan send this out to you guys. What does God give me to do now in my ministry? So in other words, I may be like, gifted in these ways, but here's what I'm doing now in my ministry residency. Um, and so what does God give you to do now, and how does it interact with your first three? So where is that exciting? Where is that frustrating? Um, so Madeline, who's highly apostolic in her ministry residency, was doing a lot of shepherding stuff. It was kind of frustrating for her. I said to her, well, you're 22 years old. Put your time. Um, you know, it wasn't a very nice dad, but, you know, I'm like, it's part of it. She's like, I get it. But, you know, but I was like, but it's also what you're learning is this is what you love and what you don't love is what you're struggling with. I'd love to get that from you guys. Like, what, what are you doing now in ministry? What are your struggles? Um, so as, as you're involved in ministry, vis-a-vis your first three, what are your struggles? Um, those are like overall what are your struggles. Just as I'm doing ministry and I'm getting into this, I'm learning. I think I'm kind of gifted this way and this way, but I don't do that. I'm struggling with that. Um, and then uh, finally pick a weaker M for you. So what would be maybe your fourth or your fifth M? Um, and just think about that M and the importance of how you would interact with that M in terms of building unity. So in other words, like if, if like my weakest one is evangelism, okay, well, I understand more about evangelism now. They often feel misunderstood. They're often out there on their own. Um, how would I, with my top two or three, interact with an evangelist? And do a little thinking about that in terms of building unity. Okay, so I'll get these out to you guys. That, that's a whole workshop, and I want to just go around and spend time doing that together. Thank awesome. You. Oh, thanks, you guys. Thank you. I, I love the five M's. It's so fun to think about. Um, it's just, they're so interesting. Do you think it's possible that you're, you experience one more in your head and another in your heart? Never thought about that. I, it, of course it could be possible. Absolutely. Which, again, could be more a part two of being in the season of life that you guys are in, mm -hmm. where you're still learning it, figuring it out. Um, or, or, like, what is it that I have a passion for, mm -hmm. and what is it that I think I might be good at? Mm -hmm. So I would put, just journal both those out. This is the time to actually articulate stuff like that. That's a great question. 